This is uh, Ian from the Ski Podcast and a little intro to our first uh, one-off episode of the uh, Ski Podcast, which is an interview with uh, Chris Moran. And Chris Moran, some of you will uh, know if you're fans of snowboarding. Uh, He was one of the, uh, well, he's on the cover of the first ever uh, White Lines uh, magazine. Uh, was is a multiple winner from the uh, from the Brits uh, back in the day and a and an ex editor of White Lines magazine, and we talked about all sorts of things. I've known Chris. I first met him in nineteen ninety five when he was working for uh, Crystal Holidays back in uh, the Three Valleys. But we talk in this interview about all sorts of stuff about why the new White Lines magazine is coming back after a few four year break. Uh, also talk to him about. Uh, you know what it was like back in the day for snowboarding in the uh, in the bad old days where uh, uh, the Brits were uh, very much um, you know a new kind of event. Snowboarding was new, and when uh, you know resorts didn't have uh, snow parks to speak of, they just uh, you know they would have to dig out their own halfpipe before uh, uh, the events. Also talk about um, you know some of the current athletes who are uh, taking part for uh, Team GB and uh, their prospects for the Olympics. So um, here's my chat with uh, Chris Moran. One of the reasons I wanted to chat to you is because you recently mentioned to me about White Lines and bringing out a, a, a new episode, a new issue, rather. Yeah. First issue for how long? Uh, four years since the last one. So it's, this was issue, I think it was 121. So 120 was what everyone thought was going to be maybe the last issue. Yeah. And, um, so that's pretty weird. So they decided they were stopping printing, mm. just sticking to online. And why have, why are they bringing out a new one again now? Well, okay, so I wasn't actually part, party to that conversation as to why they're bringing a new one out. But I think basically demand. I think they thought that they could do another one. Because, I mean, in the meantime... So it was... Um, factory had... It wasn't just white lines that stopped doing it was sidewalk surfer surface path um, all of their titles yeah uh, they just said we're gonna completely cut all print and we're only going to be digital yeah and that was four uh, years ago that was four years yeah. ago it was a pretty bold move but it was probably the right move I mean you know when was the last time that you actually picked up a magazine or bought a magazine for sure I mean in the course of in previous um, interviews on the podcast I've talked to um, People like uh, Frank Baldwin, you know, and the only reason he's still publishing is because they distribute it for free, which is Skier and a Snowboarder magazine. Uh, And previously we've talked about how, you know, there used to be a section in WH Smith for skiing and snowboarding, didn't there? And there would be a whole rack of magazines up there, but people, you know, were not buying them anymore. But you're saying maybe because they've all stopped, they obviously feel there's demand out there now? Yeah, I think they wanted to do... So when... You know, digital's great, but there is there is things that you can't you can't do on digital. So um, I mean, the, and the landscape's completely changed, even from five six years ago. So one of the things that was uh, you, you just can't get across online is the photography. Yeah. You know, and snow, snowboarding has always had. You know, there's a massive creative part of snowboarding, and yeah. photography was where it was the outlet really. And that's why the magazine 
people loved it because the photos were great, right? That yeah. was, you know. And for brands, you know, that's much better as well, right? Yeah, but the brands thing was always, I mean, my God, the amount of arguments that we used to have with the uh, advertising because we never saw it as a brand thing. Right. I think that's the death of anything artistic yeah. or creative. Because just to kind of refer back, I mean, you worked on White Lines magazine for quite some time, didn't you? From the beginning. From the beginning, From right. The very, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I was, I was involved in issue, issue one and... I think I'm the only person that's done it all the way through. Matt, Matt Barr and Ed Lee were, came on quite soon after. Yeah. Matt was about issue four, issue five. That's Matt Barr, who uh, runs his own podcast, uh, Standing Sideways, which uh, Look, some of our looking listeners sideways. might have heard. Oh, Looking Sideways, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and Ed Lee from uh, Ski Sunday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and we worked on it up until probably maybe issue 50 or 60, something right. like that. And then we handed it over to Ed Blumfield and his team, Duffy, and... Uh, and you were doing editorial writing... Uh, yeah, I, I stayed on all the way through. Because, <coughs> and, and it's been brilliant, because every time the crew has moved over, um, everyone's been really aware of the history and, and tried yeah. to involve. So now that, you know, the new, the new editor is, is, is Joy and uh, Stella um, and, uh, and Rob... Gosh, Great, and and it's going to be available like in WH Smith. It's to buy. I mean, it's not it's distributed buy, yeah. for free, well, is it? No, it's not for free. I think you can you can buy it. You can buy it online. You yeah. can buy it from I think the snowboarders have yeah. a lot of snowboarders. Do you know shops. when it's coming out? It's out. Right. So uh, yeah, just chatting, continuing with, with uh, Chris about, um, well, we thought we'd talk about some of the sn uh, snowboarders who are on the uh, scene right now, and specifically, you know, the Olympics, chances of medals, have you got any uh, thoughts on that at all? Well, yeah, so, you know, we were just, just talking about it, weren't we? Now, what I was going to say is, I, I wouldn't want to put, like, a prediction of a person, because this amazing group of snowboarders yeah. and skiers... All I would say is it, it's great that the skiing and snowboarding is now merged. You know, the program... Right. Was In that together. they're together under the banner GB Snowsport. Yeah, it was Park and Pipe and now it's under the, you know, it, it's, it's everybody. And I think that, especially the freestyle side, you know, with Pat Sharples, with Hamish McKnight, with Leslie McKenna, those people that are running those programs, yeah. it couldn't be better. And they have come from a culture of skiing and snowboarding which has, we, it is literally the envy of the world. If you talk to the snowboard people, you know, a snowboard scene person from Germany or from Austria or from the US, they will know the British scene. And the British scene is fabulous. Yeah. And it, and it well, we're continuing years. to see people coming across from other countries, you know, with you know, yeah. UK passports. Yeah. Well, you know, Gus Kenilworth is... Yeah, is, is yeah, uh, uh, just most most recently oh, Kenworthy sorry. Kenworthy sorry. yeah Gus yeah, yeah. Kenworthy um, he's a medal winner right Olympic medal yeah, winner he won the, he won the, the gold medal yeah he, and he's the on, only openly gay um, yep. sort of action sports yep. star and Charlotte Banks from um, Skier maybe he's not the only one but yeah uh, Snowball Cross um, but, but you know yeah. people are joining you know the UK programme and you're saying because of that reputation yeah. because they know it's really well, well also, set up you know, there's, there's a Swiss girl who, who she's a Swiss gold medalist in fact she's the ski, skiing freestyle uh, but she's pretty much British she doesn't oh. ski for the, the UK or GB yeah. but she essentially grew up here yeah. you know she, she went She's skiing because you went on the Cardiff Uni ski trip. Yeah. I think, you know, there's a number <laughs> yeah. of people who were brought up in the Alps, 
because their parents, uh, you know, lived there or, or they yeah. had one parent. The first experience. generation previously, of ski season, they would have done. They would have, uh, you know, gone for France or Switzerland or, or whatever. And now they're choosing to represent GB. But yeah, thinking yeah. specifically about, you know. Beijing 2022 right. uh, do you see anyone there I mean Katie Omrod obviously had a really bad injury just before the last uh, yeah Olympics. Katie that was such a shame and I think but she, she's obviously like a, a big star and I think Isabel Atkin will, will be doing really well um, in the skiing well Woodsy and, and, and Gus mm. as he's now riding for the UK that's going to be we also have Ski Big Air for the first time was it not in the last one no I'll have to check my facts there <laughs> Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't really know. I'll be honest. Uh, I think the Olympics is extremely dangerous for those sports, but that's just my personal opinion. I mean, I worked with the Olympics, and I don't think I'll ever do that again. Right. It was the most corrupt organisation I've ever. Uh, really? Okay. Wait, sorry. When were you working with the? Uh, well, I worked with the Park and Pipe crew. Right. Um, so we did the communications for them, and um, and you know, so seeing behind the curtain, as it were. I mean, I've always known about the Olympics, you know. Yeah. You mean in terms of how they choose venues? Is that what you're talking no, about? No, no. I mean, I mean, obviously, you can. Uh, oh God, I wouldn't know where to. You could do a whole podcast on the Olympics because it, it is. It, it's just crazy the way that that system is set up, and so, for example, you know, Team GB is a, is an entity that is owned by the Olympic Association. Yeah, the BOA. But the BOA is the Olympic Association. Yeah. It's not, it's not, you know, your tax money goes to UK sport. Yeah. And we pay for the training of those, uh, of the athletes who get yeah. to go to the Olympics. But when the Olympics is on, they have to be part of Team GB. For sure, Team yeah. GB is an entity that's owned by the Olympics. Team GB can sell sponsorship. So, you know, it may be that the, the athletes have been getting money from Nike all the way through their career when they go to the Olympics they can't wear Nike they yeah. have to wear Adidas yeah. I think that's morally commercially it's just bankrupt it's wrong and you know because we've paid for their training and the Olympics is making all of the money from it, it it's, a, it's, a, it's a bad system and right you know, I mean I, know, I, I understand how those um, uh, issues can crop up particularly when you, you know, obviously have people who use a particular board or they they have a clothing sponsor yet when they're in the olympics they might have to wear a, a like a uniform right they have to wear they have to wear what they're told yeah you know? to they, compete but not only do they have to wear what they're told they have to their home sponsor that they're, they're so as i say imagine that you so here's, here's a perfect example because you, yeah. you, you run you know you, yeah. you, you do lots of you know fitness stuff so imagine that imagine that adidas pay for your training yeah okay or no they say nike pay for your training and you've got, you know, enough points, and you've and they've they've paid a hundred thousand pounds for your training. You go to the Olympics. When you go to the Olympics, you have to go through Team GB. Team GB sponsor is Adidas. Yeah. Okay, so you're not allowed to wear any Nike stuff anymore. You've got to wear Adidas, and they tell you if you come into the Olympics, anything that's on the Nike website, which has your stuff on it, has to be blacked out for the duration of the Olympics. That's that's what they do. Yeah, isn't that completely wrong? Yeah, it seems so strange. For for the next Olympic cycle, Planks are sponsoring uh, GB Snow Sports, aren't they? Okay, well I, I think mean, they're this doing is... the clothing. Right. Uh, okay. 
yeah. yeah I mean, well, you, a, you either, that's the thing, you either, you know, if you can't beat them, you've got to join them. <laughs> right. That is it. Okay. You know? Interesting, because they've been a long-term sponsor of Woodsy, haven't they? And yeah, he's yeah. got a, you know, his own line Signature with them. Range, yeah. Now, well, all the athletes, I imagine, they, I imagine it's yeah. costing them, you know, a good amount of money to get that position, but yeah. it'll be perfect positioning if, you know, uh, I've interviewed Vicky they might be They might be sponsoring the GB like the, the the system now, but right. when it comes to the Olympics, yep. they might not have the rights. Uh, of course, I would imagine it would be Adidas. No, okay. Adidas sponsors Team GB. Yeah. So there's exactly the, the, yeah. the situation. Well, well, I, I I'll have to uh, look to into that one, that one. but um, it's certainly um, certainly you know an an interesting contradiction the athletes find themselves yeah. in. But hopefully, hopefully you know they'll. Uh, when it comes to uh, the Olympics, they'll do well. Because, yeah, Vicky Gosling, I interviewed her a while ago. She's a CEO right. of GB Snow Sport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Their stated ambition is to be a top five snow sports nation. So okay. I had a little look at the maths on that. Yeah. You know, how do you become top five? Not for the whole of the Winter Olympics. She's talking about skiing and snowboarding. Yeah. Basically, you've got to win five medals, probably. Three, three golds yeah. or five medals in total, you know, based okay. on how they do that medal table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you've got to come above uh, France, Italy, uh, Switzerland, you know, you'd be below um, Norway, USA, China, yeah, etc. Yeah, yeah. But we won one medal, two previous uh, uh, Olympics, Vancouver, is it? Yeah. Two medals at Pyeongchang, yeah. and they want to win five. Right. Now, bringing people into the team is going to help, but they're incredibly well-funded. They've got some brilliant athletes uh, there. I, it's in, entirely achievable. You mm. can see it happening, can't you? It is, it is. I, I'm, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, if you take a step back from it, what the fuck is it all about? <laughs> you know what I mean? That's the that's the that's the madness. Yeah. Like, it's one of those. It's a bit like the banking system. It's a bit like it's gotten too big to fail, right? And because of that, you can take the piss. If you're a bank, you know you can pretty much do what you want because, you know, they, they say privatize the wins, socialize the losses. That's what the Olympics is. Yeah. Because, you know. The, the commercial rights. I, I give you an example. Right? So this is, you know, n not really for publication. Yeah. But we. Well, um, I tell you what. Let's, okay. let's stop this one now. And then we'll talk about. Uh, okay. We'll talk about that. That's brilliant. Thanks, Chris. So chatting to uh, uh, Chris Moran, we were talking about White Lines uh, magazine and how they're they're they've just produced their first magazine for four years. And in our first interview, you said, you know, you've been involved with White Lines, you know, from the start, which uh, made me smile because, if I recall correctly, you're on the cover of uh, issue yeah, one. Cover of issue one, yeah. How did, how did that come about? Uh, lack of good photos, I suppose. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it wasn't my decision. I'm not that much of a megalomaniac. <laughs> It was, uh, I was a really nice surprise actually. Chod, who was the person that chose it, he was the original editor. Yeah. Uh, he didn't tell me and then he showed me, he was really pleased. All right. Was great. Where was it yeah. taken? It was at the It was at the British Champs, which was in Val d'Isere. Right. That year. And what, do you know what year we're talking about here? I think that's about, it was, must have been about taken in about 94. Right, okay. Because it was, because the magazine came out in 95. So it and was it in the previous a, a big air or something? Or was it, it in was competition? Uh, I don't think it was in the competition because I didn't have a bib on or anything like that. But yeah. um, I think it was just part of the practice. But I tell you, I remember really clearly that, that, that pipe because 
We used to have to dig the pipes. I mean, that was the thing. <laughs> there were no, you know, curved pipe diggers no, they were on shocking. there. They were really yeah. shocking. And I remember that was when Chud was putting together white lines. You know, he was he was talking yeah. to people and he was out there. But my overriding memory was was because uh, he he's, he was, you know, it was quite late in the season and he had his top off. Everyone was like topless and yeah. digging, trying to get a tan. And his shoulders were really red. And uh, and I was like, Chud, Chud, you, you really need to put some sun cream on. And he wouldn't listen to me. And I was like, come here, I'll, I'll do it for you. And he, he kind of came over and he started taking his gloves off. I was like, no, no, I'll rub it in for you. And I had some Ralgex <laughs> in my back. And I thought it was really funny to rub Ralgex on his shoulders. And he kind of like, he was like, oh, thanks, thanks, thanks. But it, you know, 10 seconds in, he started to feel the burn. And he was yeah. like, what the fuck? And I, I remember him chasing me down the pipe with me giggling. And he, he gave me a pretty good beating, actually. <laughs> That's so the early, early days of uh, snowboarding when you dug your own pipes and, uh, yeah, you use railjets for sun cream. <laughs> Excellent. And, you know, those are kind of events. I mean, was that, was it where the snow park is in Val d'Isere now? Was that exactly. where it was? It wasn't the dive, it was at the bottom of the, the bottom of the... Oh my god, my oh, bottom memory of the fast, the bell Yeah, exactly, maybe. bottom of the fast, yeah. Right, okay, there, yeah. you dug your own, you dug your own half pipe there, yeah. there. And there was a guy called Gumby. Yes, I know Gumby, you know Gumby? yeah. yeah Gumby's guy. big day out uh, yeah, was he, a big he, event. Yeah, he did that years after, but he really kind of came out of nowhere because there was a big air and he went way bigger than everyone. Yes. But I mean, he, over, he was still going up when he was going <laughs> past the landing. I mean, he, he went, wait, and he did this kind of enormous half backflip which there are sequences of it. I mean, we ran it and, it, he, and he was coughing up blood. God knows what he did to himself internally, but he was so lucky to actually survive because it would have been, you know, it was at least 10 meters upside down to, oh my God, to land on yeah. his head, basically. Yeah, and I'm guessing you know. in those days, no back protectors, no he helmets. Top off. I mean, it was like, <laughs> pretty much everyone did. Right. You know. Yeah, it was, yeah. it's just the, the Everyone got away with it because we're all 20 years old. <laughs> yeah, and that was kind of, you know, what, what we're talking about there is, you know, those early days. You mentioned before that, uh, you know, Ed Lee was working on the uh, magazine and I think a few other people from that early time who are all working, or lots of them are working in the yeah. uh, in the industry now. Uh, Matt That's Barr, great. who works, uh, yeah. has the a agency, does his uh, a podcast, etc. Ed Lee on uh, Ski Sunday. Trying to think who else was around. Stu Brass, who uh, runs Spencer. the Brits. Uh, Spencer Claridge, is that uh, his name? Yes. They run the Brits together, don't they? And they yep. do kind of do, they ran the uh, stuff for the jump when that was on, uh, etc. Yeah. Anyone else from that era who's... From that era? Well, I mean, almost everybody, because, you know, all of the uh, the people that were running the snowboard stuff, like Jeremy Sladen and, 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 and the, the Brigham crew, you know, Rob Brigham, who's now the CEO of, of Ellis Brigham, they were all around. Um, I mean, gosh, I, I wouldn't even be know where to start because I would forget people and that wouldn't be fair, but almost everybody that we used to ride with is still involved in snowboarding. And it's great because we get together quite a lot. Yeah. You know, there's loads of Facebook and WhatsApp groups and it's, 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 it's remarkable. But snowboarding is one of those things that people... People loved it for the for the act of it, and, and they've stayed with it. Yeah, and the competitions in that uh, era were very different you've said about gumby just now right. <laughs> and the safety side of things but um yeah. no there wasn't there was no such thing as slope style then right no slope style but it, it, no there wasn't as, as like an official competition but there was uh there was always like a kind of rider jam i suppose right. which, which would sort of morph itself yeah it would evolve into slope style um 
there was always yeah because because you could never really tell what what the what a resort was going to have you yeah know? i mean i remember the year after in avorias they had a really good pipe yeah that was the first time that they were, I think yeah i remember avorias always had a pipe. reputation for being yeah one of those early resorts to actually have a proper snow park yeah exactly and and then um and they had like a fun park so then that became yes there was more than one jump so the so the it, it, it wouldn't have been called slope style but it was called something like yeah. a, a jam I suppose I don't yeah. know. but there was more than one jump you know it was there was a hit yeah. and there was all sorts of stuff so you just kind of got what you what, what was what the what, what the resort and had. in those in those earlier uh, years at the what you might call the Brits the British championships I don't think they were formalized as the Brits then no it was it was from, from the 89 it was the very first and the was first it? one was the first one was sponsored by the Sun <laughs> really can you believe who lined that deal up <laughs> you know, i don't know but i tell you I, so the first one was really bad as in so they had a prize given at a hotel and like early on it was it was really punk and there was a band playing i forget the name of them but they used to play at loads of the events and they incited a riot and there was the this poor hotel that was next to it's it like the Speyside hotel next to a river in in, in scotland and somebody threw a chair into the river from like the you know this function room and then the next thing all of the furniture oh went dear. into the river i mean everything oh dear and this is like snowboarders had you know a bad reputation oh, yeah. uh, when i look you at know, it now uh, as, you know as a 46 year old man <laughs> a bit like that's not cool it's yeah not cool. i think you know, you know several people of of a similar age you know when they're at uni kind of maybe did things that they uh, regret i think yeah. going on university ski trips but I actually worked in uh, Monterey when uh, the Brit British champs were held there. Yeah. And we were, I remember, um, you know, different groups coming into resort, checking in. And oh, I nice. told all my staff, there's no way <laughs> you give down. anyone <laughs> any keys till they've paid their deposit on their apartment. You know, no one gets into their apartment. Don't tell them where their apartments are until you've yeah. got that deposit off them because I get this reputation had oh, kind of preceded the uh, event. Oh yeah, and it was, and, and it was, it was earned that reputation. It was, uh, I, you know, even within, e even within the community, I remember at the, at the, um, at the Avoria's Brits, stuff was getting nicked within like, you know, like you basically had to keep hold of what you got. But that's what it's kind of, you know, it's just a little bit in it. It was a bit in a city, right? You yeah. Know? And, uh, you know, that's how that that was the early days of snowboarding. I think, you know, we're all beyond that now. People yeah. who go, people who still think about this kind of divide between skiers and snowboarders are a bit, it's a bit 90s, that kind of thing. That's definitely it? not there anymore. But it was, you know, we had a section in, in, in White Lines, which was called Thieves and Rich Kids. Yes. And it, it was the product section. Yeah, there was, was a TV like, programme called Thieves and Rich Kids. I, I, I think they I maybe... Well, maybe set we in Maribel. To... It was a set in Maribel for a season. Right. Okay. Was that... Oh, I'll have to Google that. Right, one. Yeah. I'll have to Google that one. But it was our kind of nod to the fact that you'd probably either you're going to buy this stuff or you're going to nick it. You know what I mean? Right. Okay. <laughs> and uh... that's the worry. Yeah. Well, times have changed, haven't they? That, that's brilliant, Chris. Thank you, brother. <laughs> So just continuing uh, my chat with uh, Chris Moran about, you know, the, the bad old days of snowboarding. <laughs> but you, um, I think I'm right in saying, are a kind of multiple British champion in, in different events, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, 
I, I was just saying, actually, you know, my, my little boy asked me what, what I'd won, and I actually don't have a list of what I'd won. So right. I wish I did, but um, it, it would, wouldn't be sure. That, you know, I don't yeah. know exactly how many. I think I maybe won something like maybe 10 or 15 British Championships titles of various things over yeah. the years, something like that, maybe. Um, but as I said, in 97, that was when I kind of went to the, the Brit. That was in, it was in Les Arts, Yeah. and I won everything that I entered, which... And I well thought, done. It's not going to get. Well, <laughs> do you know the the main reason for that is because my main uh, competitive rival, although it was my best friend, was Steve Bailey. Right. And we rode everywhere together. Yeah. He generally beat me. I beat him sometimes, but most of the time he and he was a bit better than me. You know? Yeah. He was the one that dragged me and uh, uh, our group. He he dragged us uh, to be better. Um, he he dragged the standard higher. So he generally won, but he'd he'd been in an avalanche that year. So, okay. um, yeah, we, we huge avalanche. He was very, very lucky to live. Um, so he wasn't competing. So I kind of won everything. And I thought, it's probably not going to get better than this. You know, right, this yeah. Was my, Retire at the top. Exactly. It was <laughs> <Yeah>. my Leicester season. <laughs> and uh, so what sort of, um, let's say, in, in Big Air, that was one of the ones you won, right? Or Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, in that, okay, so in, in so if if I were doing, so you're asking about like what tricks? Or what yeah, doing, yeah, what kind of uh, tricks would you be, you know, doing? Though, I mean, there would have been, around then it would have been the kind of things that, like the kind of things that I could do were basically like um, uh, sevens and ca ca cab sevens, cab nines. Cab right. nine was probably about no, like, to, what you'd say. I have to expose my ignorance here, but you know, in so terms nine, of progression, you know, okay. how does that compare to what people might be doing in a similar event now to win the to win the Brits uh, well you know like a cab nine I guess people still do them cab cab, cab fives cab, I mean a cab five is a beautiful trick it's timeless it's one of those things that people do but they they wouldn't do it to try and win a competition that's for sure because after maybe like in the mid 2000s that's when people started doing the, the um, corked tricks yeah and then once you start doing that you start hitting these kind of off-axis spins, which you can kind of lock into, and so then you can do double corks, triple corks, and and you know people have done. When you say lock into, like you, you get that momentum flying through. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, it's it's a it's it's a spin, but it's also it's also a, a flip. So you, you yeah. You, and and once you get that right, it's a bit like a gyroscope, I suppose. Yep. You know, and um, but interestingly, like Steve, so Peter Lyme was. People would say he was one of the first people to do a to do a corked spin. Yeah, and he and we saw him do them very very early on in a Rick's Grandson competition. So yeah. Steve and I, which is up in Sweden. Yeah, right, yeah. right in the very far north. We got interrail passes and we got after Chamonix because we, we used to do seasons in Chamonix and we got the um, train all the way up to top of Sweden um, on these interrail passes and we went to this competition and we saw Peter Lyon doing them and the next day Steve was like. I could see him dropping his shoulder, trying to get that kind of inverted spin, and he got them. He, you know, he, he learnt them right. like that trip. Steve Bailey. Steve Bailey. Yeah. Um, and so we started doing court spins. Yeah. And that was, you know, as I say, that was '94, '95. So it was really early, but we never took them more than I think Steve maybe did them 720s. Yeah. But we weren't doing them the same way that people were doing them now. Right. And actually, they weren't as what we thought anyway they weren't as aesthetically pleasing as the stuff that we liked yeah which was more the kind of terrier uh model which was so we loved all the cab spins and do it for the benefit of our listeners 
and me. <laughs> What's a cab spin? So cab spin is uh, so Steve Caballero is a skateboarder. That, yeah. Uh, he he came up with these tricks in the eighties, I suppose. And it's um, a cab spin is if you start you're starting backwards. Yeah. So you're riding the board backwards, and it's a front side spin. So it's a, it's a front side spin. So you're spinning. You know, front side is yeah. Basically cl- clockwise or counterclockwise, depending on which way you stand on the board. Yeah. And. Um, uh, and, but you're yeah, so it's about your backwards. entry into the jump and the direction yeah. nerve rotation. Yeah, but it has yeah. a look. Which, which is a real skier's way of explaining what's going on there. It's really difficult. I mean, that, that vocabulary, it's like sailing, isn't it? It's like port side or whatever. Like, it makes sense when you're doing it, but when you're yeah. talking to the layman, it just, just all sounds like gobbledygook, yeah. doesn't it? When you watch, uh, when I watch, uh, you know, your commentary, for example, in the, uh, in the Olympics, being able to call exactly what's happened i mean obviously yeah. if it's what you watch every day it's straightforward but it looks bloody complicated to me to oh, be able yeah, to look yeah. at it and say straight away oh yeah. okay that was a corked cab I 10 know. whatever it is it's so it's the same with ice skating or, or any or, or gymnastics isn't it it's, once you know what you're looking at it makes yeah. sense uh, but without without that background it's it just looks like meaningless you know it looks like somebody's just throwing their arms and seeing where they end up <laughs> but obviously there's more to it than yeah that, you know? well that's brilliant that's really uh, you know educational uh, for me <laughs> and fascinating uh, as well <laughs> well i hope you enjoyed that interview with chris moran the first of our one-off episodes that we're going to do a bit more of uh, more often here on the ski podcast uh, if you enjoyed this then please do subscribe and you'll never miss a, a podcast from us again You can listen to all of our uh, 60 plus uh, back episodes at theskipodcast.com and you can follow us on social media uh, on Facebook or on Twitter at The Ski Podcast.